0: Welcome to our continuing series, Rediscovering James Bond with Elijah.
1: Welcome back, young man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Excellent. How's this fall weather treating you? Um, Well, over here, it's kind of all over the place. The whole Midwest is actually known for weather that'll be really warm one day. Actually, it'll start off warm by about mid-morning. It'll get cool. Noon, we'll have a tornado. Afternoon we'll have freezing frost and snow. And then evening it'll be warm again. You know, this sounds like the plot of Clive Barker's the thief of always, and I'd be really worried if that's the case. This week we had eighty degrees and now it's almost freezing. Wow. Mm, me. That only happens when I get near Neil. So oh, God Jesus. <laughs> <That's
2: terrible. laughs>
0: let's let's don't bond. So now we've reached the fourth in the Bond series. Thunderball had a budget bigger than the other three films combined and will go on to be the most successful of the series up to that point in time. Is Big better? Let's find out. Elijah, what are your thoughts on Thunderball?
1: Uh, you mean uh, Dr. No 2.0? <laughs> Ooh, nice one. No, yes. Ooh, you've, you've done your homework. Yeah. I mean, it feels almost exactly like Dr. No, from the diverse crew of Americans that he get, that he teams up with mm. to meeting the girl in the water, you know, she wasn't coming out of the beach in a bikini, but he meets her underwater, fancy the home of the his, his opponent, sleeping with somebody that's attempting to kill him.
3: <laughs> yep, we've all been there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Huh interesting thoughts I had made that connection that's really good Neil
2: um yeah I mean it it looks fantastic whether the story's uh, great and Sean Connery is of course a little bit sexist where it is a lot sexist we'll get to that it's a tongue-in-cheek film and it's great fun it's a bond that's it's much more humor in I enjoyed it
3: Graham it's um, a shocking dip after the high of Goldfinger I've Thought it was a, a very badly edited. I thought some of it was ridiculous, but the scenery was very nice. But that was about it. By scenery, do you mean the? I mean the actual. Yes, the actual <laughs> the buildings and, I was and just the... checking. Oh, that's... Just checking. Mm. I thought uh, Nassau was lovely. Yes,
0: I, I, with Mcgraw, I, I have real problems with this film. I've always had problems with Thunderball. It's one of the Very few Bond films I never saw in the cinema, so I never got that big-screen experience with it. As we go through this, I'll discuss what it is about Thunderball that causes me, well, not concern, but boredom. But anyway, let's talk on this. And and what Elijah said there is really interesting, Doctor No 2.0, because Thunderball almost was the first Bond film. It was the novel that was released as the contracts were signed to make the first Bond film. There was a lot of planning to make Thunderball as Bond film number one, but because there were contributors on the plot, Kevin McClory, and there were legal actions over the novel, it was decided to shelve that and go with Dr. No. Had that not happened, would Thunderball have been a better first film and an introduction to Bond than Dr. No. What do you think? Graham?
3: The book's quite good, actually. I've just read the book. I just finished it a couple of days ago. And the book's quite good, but it bears no relation to the film. I mean, some of the plots, lines, and some of the the scenes are the same. But yeah, if they'd had done this first and had been and they'd followed the book, it would have been a very, very good. I think it would have been a lot stronger than Doctor No as a first outing. Although it is the ninth book in the series, going with it first would have been excellent and would have really set the tone for Bond.
0: Okay, Elijah, as you refer to it as Doctor No, 2.0,
1: I'm not sure. I think uh, Connor is a little bit more self assured in this one, uh, especially in delivering his one liners. I mean, mm. they're fantastic. Yeah. From, I think he got the point. Go straight up on deck. As a disco volante
0: is
2: being watched, you'll be spotted.
3: Vargas behind you. He must have followed us.
2: <laughs> I think he got the point. <laughs>
3: Great one, yeah.
0: Yeah, he is very suave and knows how to produce
1: the lines. And if there's so much that's similar between the two films that I almost think you could literally just swap them and there wouldn't be much of a difference. If if you told somebody that Thunderball was the first Bond and took Dr. No out, then they you could go straight from this one to From Russia With Love. Neil, would Thunderball have been better as the first James Bond film?
2: I don't think you can say that or... or yes or no really I mean this one had bigger budget than the first three put together could you have had the budget for this one with all the underwater scenes I assume there are underwater scenes in the book that they would have had to film would they have had the money to do it and the chances are no so I I would say logically no
0: and and I think to sum up on this, I don't need to add anything to this, really, because Neil's quite right on budget. They could never have done Thunderball on a Doctor No-style budget, although it would have been interesting to see them try. And I think Elijah's point that Connery had settled into the role where you saw him develop that role in Doctor No, I think we would have lost out had this been the first. One thing that does come back from the first film, though, is director Terence Young. So he did the first two, Doctor No from Russia With Love, sat out Goldfinger, which Guy Hamilton directed, and has come back for this his final Bond film. What do you think of his direction? Should he have come back, Neil?
2: Ah, uh, again, I'm. It keeps to the same James Bond sort of themes, doesn't it? He rattles it along. There's women, there's gadgets, there's silly comments, the suaveness, and everything. I thought he did it okay. It takes that sort of campness of of all the future films that they sort of base it on this it starts the whole sort of james bond as a a bit of more fun to it i thought he yeah he was the right person he took it from what it was to what it then became
3: graham oh no 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 i, I <laughs> sorry neil i completely disagree i think he's definitely the wrong person the thing i liked about goldfinger by comparison is that it hit the beat every time. You know, things moved along. Things were very logical. You could work out what was happening, who was working for who, what was related to to what. And it was very, very well planned out, plotted well, paced extremely well. I found this dragged in parts. Mm. Um, uh, the chase scene through the carnival was overlong and uh, convoluted. I just found lots and lots of things where they didn't quite intersect correctly and the story didn't make much sense because of the initial discovery that Bond makes when he goes to the health spa. I just thought it was a bit hacky compared with the superb plot lines of goldfinger so i would have wanted guy hamilton to come back for the fourth one and i think he would have produced a, a razor sharp Thunderball. elijah same question to you what do you think of terence young
0: coming back is it a mistake or not it's fine <laughs> well thank you elijah that's sort of good,
1: yeah. Yeah. let's move on like, um, there's nothing yeah. there's nothing you know incredible about the direction it works it it goes from plot point to plot point eventually. Yes. Things happen. A lot of women in between. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We'll come to the women. Yeah. yeah,
0: Certainly. Well, but I do think with young, you know, he done the first two, he set the character up. Hamilton took it in a different direction. Young for me, tried to bring it back to what it was. And I'll explain. So, With From Russia With Love, Young was very focused on that plot and the plot that Spectre put into being. The first 40 minutes of this film is Spectre. Mm. And the Bond in the spa bit is almost superfluous to what goes on elsewhere. So the first 40 minutes is the Spectre plot, and then Bond comes in. And by the way, I don't know if anybody noticed, when they called all the double O's together for that big briefing, There was actually a woman amongst the double O's. I didn't say, I saw there were nine of them. There were nine, and one was a woman, which was really forward thinking for the 60s. Full credit to the filmmakers. That forward thinking didn't last long, did
1: it? I just got the, uh, you know, uh, his wife probably lost her dog again. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, for me, Young couldn't break out
0: of the mould that he'd set himself. And it was good that this was his last one. However, I think this is a film too far. So Elijah, on, on terms of plotting, do you think that worked out okay? As I said, I I thought the first forty minutes Bond was redundant.
1: It sets up, the, you know, why he goes, where he goes, and and sort of what he's able to do. But like him finding the guy dead in the, um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really make much of a difference because when he when he reveals it to the girl, he reveals the dog tags, just kind of, inessential and it doesn't really do much other than him, you know, being able to pull a guy through a glass window. Yes. W- whatever he does with the the, the poor spa woman.
0: Yeah, we'll come on to that in a moment oh. as we touch on and, and join forces with the Me Too Brigade.
3: Um, <laughs> it was shocking.
0: All right, Graham, as you've left in there, what do you saying?
3: Uh, well, uh, again, I, I thought the opening was very poor. I mean, the, sorry I keep going back to the book, but the book follows a very logical and plotted path, and the film takes a very different approach to setting up the story. The opening sequences, as far as I was concerned, were only there. The first 40 minutes were only there to set up a rather clumsy connection between Bond and Domino's character. Just didn't work for me. Him discovering the pilot and all of that, and the, the guy from the uh, the Tong. Uh, with the strange tattoo on his on his wrist uh, it just seemed very clumsy and very clunky and there should have been a much easier much more logical mm-hmm. way to get him out to NASA.
1: I mean but you did get to see him beat up a widow so
3: <laughs> that that and yes <laughs> and it was nice to see the old james bond trope back of having a little a little piece at the front a little pre-credit or pre-title
0: Yeah, as I said to Graham yesterday, that pre-credit sequence involves a guy with a jetpack. Yeah. At the time of filming this, and that jetpack was real, how many people in the world were licensed to use it? Two people. Uh, Neil has actually done his homework.
2: Mm, Yes. Yeah,
0: Yeah, uh, there were only two people in the world that could actually fly that jetpack. So the jetpack was real.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: It was indeed.
2: That's awesome. Something Um, like a 1,000 horsepower. I mean, I can't imagine what the uh, insurance on that thing would be, (laughs) apart from setting setting yourself alight.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it never really took off, did it?
2: Well, it did take off. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Nice one, Neil. Ah, Boom, boom. Fair me! (laughs) Uh, I'm here all week. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs)
0: Um, Okay. (laughs) Let's talk Sean Connery. As we, I think we spent enough time on Terence Young, and I think we can all agree that he'd outlived its usefulness. Um, he
3: certainly had. <laughs> yeah.
0: Neil, Sean Connery, good or not in this film?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he's, we've, we've said it before that he's, he's now sort of um, got the role and he's much more confident. Um, he's much more able to do the one-liners, of which there were far more than this one. I, I think he's very much Bond now. Bond is Sean Connery and, and uh, he's taken three films, but he very much is Bond now. And I thought he was very good.
1: Elijah, what do you think? Connery on top of his game in this? I mean, I think he's fantastic. I mean, it, His line delivery, just the way he portrays himself on screen. Yeah, like Neil said, he, he owns the role.
3: He's got the whole physical presence, hasn't he? Down perfectly. He, I, he seemed a lot fitter in this in you this version.
0: In all that food, he was when he was in from Russia with luck.
3: I think he's avoided all the baklava from uh, Turkey. That it probably put on a ton of weight. <laughs> yeah, I think he's he was a lot fitter. He walked with much more confidence. He he delivered his lines better. I think he'd really got the character, as Neil said, by this stage, and he was just very. I think it was Elijah who said yes last time. He was the Bondiest of Bonds, yes. And he was very Bondy at this time, definitely.
0: And his delivery of such lines like, uh, wait till you get to my teeth.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Nice, one. Like, nice one, Sean. You can't actually say that today, but nice one
1: at the time. <laughs> um, oh, and it's like, it's like, oh, do you know something about guns? It's like, no, but I know <laughs> something about women. Or I know a lot <laughs> about women. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Like, it looks difficult. Uh, apparently not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and and yet underneath all this Connery wasn't happy he felt he wasn't getting paid the right amount for it he's contracted to do one more which was he only lived twice already said you know if they don't pay me more my time is coming to an end doing this character oh, wow so there there was a lot going on behind, behind the scenes I have problems with the film and let's start talking about some of the problems but part of the, the problem isn't Connery who I think is great but there were moments re-watching this film where I felt there's something wrong with my TV. This action looks <laughs> speeded up.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. That At the at the very beginning, you know, when he does the whole beating up the widow, who's actually an assassin, and he escapes, and then they're chasing him and they speed that up. And that occurs three, four times throughout the film. Firstly, it annoyed me because I spent five minutes checking my TV. Idiot. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know the the whole thing with with that speeding up, I just don't know what it achieved. Graham, what do you think it achieved, if anything? Oh,
3: it, yeah, it achieved perfectly for me the fact that I got so angry with it. I kept saying, "Stop doing that! It's really annoying." And at the end, with the um, when they're in the hydrofoil <laughs> do, doing two thousand mile an hour, it looked like <laughs> it was just ridiculous. So stupid and it drove me mad they could have done it much better with just having lots of tiny little islands that they had to weave in and out of to avoid you know rather than having it travel at unbelievable speed of sound through the water it was just ridiculous
1: so you're saying you were not convinced that it was real no surely it was Surely it was. You can go 200 miles an hour on a boat and then turn it sideways. I mean, I saw it with my own eyes and it looked perfectly legit. <laughs> uh,
3: but it was the juxtaposition between you look out the window, you're traveling 2,000 miles an hour, and then inside, everybody was fighting at normal speed. And then they look out the window and everything was going. <laughs> well.
2: I thought, okay. Do you think it was a backdrop or something that was traveling? Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe. M-
3: and the guy who was working the scenery was obviously working over it hard. really was.
0: <laughs> I believe Neil wants to borrow him when he's on the golf
3: course next.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, He'd yeah. be speed.
3: through eighteen holes in a minute. Yeah.
2: It'd be ridiculous, and I wouldn't have time for my uh, meltdown.
1: If I could move that fast, I might lose weight. Well. <laughs>
2: I think you'd lose quite a lot of other things as well. <laughs> your, your self-respect, for a start.
0: <laughs> you say that's with with Neil, he hasn't got any. And... the
3: The other thing that annoyed me is how many people were on that boat. Because like half a dozen of them came through that little tiny hatch, and then I think well, I, I think crazy.
2: picking holes in something that was made in sixty five and, and now twenty nine twenty twenty. It's a bit obvious, isn't it, with our high-definition yeah. high, high definition TV screens. Um, it did look a bit stupid, though, didn't it? And there was a lot of things that looked stupid in it. And
0: that's why I kept looking at my TV, trying to work out what was wrong with it.
2: Technical Jeff.
1: <laughs> that is my name. Carry on.
2: Anyway. Carry on, Jeff.
1: Yeah. So you should have enabled the motion smoothing on your TV. That would have fixed
0: it. <laughs> oh, Could you imagine
1: what would have happened with that?
0: <laughs> Goodness,
3: You'd have got seasick. That's what would have happened. To. All
0: right, I'm going to block that from my mind, I think, actually. Let's talk about the cast. So all four Bond films up to this point, there was at least one member, major member of the cast who were dubbed. This sets the record. It actually had three. Two I noticed, one I didn't. So Claudia Raga, who played Domino, which, by the way, almost went, that part almost went to Julie Christie, Rackel Welch, or Faye Dunaway, all three almost played there. Adelfo Celli as Largo. And of course, Adelfo Celli went on almost 20 years later to become famous, playing the lead in The Borgias on TV. So both of those I spotted that they were dubbed. I didn't spot Molly Peters, who played Patricia Fearin, the nurse in the spa, as being dubbed as well. I don't know. I, I This practice
1: really irritates me, but I'm curious as to what you think on it. Elijah? I didn't really notice the dubbing off the bat. I think there's, like, even though Connery's voice is there, I feel like half of his lines were probably ADR. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I was just kind of expecting it with the film, but going back and watching it after finding out that they were dubbed, it's really noticeable for the most part. I mean, they do a really good job matching the words with the mouth, for the most part. I mean, there's some that are just awful. There's a couple points where, like, Sean Connery, yeah, just Sean Connery, he says something, there's no sound, and then he moves his mouth a little bit and it says two words, and then he keeps going, but there's nothing you can hear on screen. I'm wondering why they did that. It doesn't seem to make much sense. Four films in, and every one of them had at least one character, a major character dubbed, I mean, unless the girls sound like the the lady from um, Singing in the Rain, yeah, then why no, overdub them? That.
0: Yeah. Oddly enough, Goldfinger was the only one where a female voice wasn't dubbed. They dubbed in that one Goldfinger himself because he was German. I can understand that. But, yeah, on, the, on this, it just seems crazy.
3: I, I just looked her up. Molly Peters, she's from Suffolk. In the UK. Well,
2: Someone that's why there. they dubbed her.
3: <laughs> there's some regional humour that will not transmit <laughs> And Then they the will not
2: go, further than they. not go much further than here, will it? I
1: mean, I imagine it's similar to saying that someone's from Kentucky.
3: Yeah, and uh, I don't think there's any problem with the Suffolk accent.
1: No, there isn't, she, no. she
3: was a TV star before this, so she was okay for TV, but... Obviously not posh enough. It could be that
2: with the action and everything going on, the sound just wasn't good enough.
1: That's very strange. That's very odd. I wonder if it's just a practice of this director wanting to overdub the female actors because he doesn't think they sound sexy enough or or whatever. Considering
0: in From Russia With Love, he wouldn't shoot the uh, female lead from below the the waist because he thought her ass was too fat. It is crazy, really. Terence Young might have a problem there. But let's let's talk about the villains, because it does seem the villains were the, mainly the ones overdubbed. So you got Adolfo Celli as Largo, Luciana Palooza as uh, Fiona Volpa, and Philip Locke as Vargas. Who worked for you, Neil?
2: did like uh, Adolfo Celli as Largo. I mean, he's a baddie. Uh, it's, it's, if his voice is dubbed, that's probably one reason why. Um, I just thought the baddie worked. I mean he's a Spectre baddie, he's got a nuclear bomb, what you know.
0: You reckon he's a villain because he knew his voice was dubbed.
2: I guess he's better because his voice was dubbed, I guess they managed to get that right. I didn't really think of anybody else really. I mean there's only Largo being a baddie and James Bond in this one, isn't there? The rest of them are sort of um decoration.
1: Well Fiona Volpe is is major.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I oh, know she was all right. Yes, that's, that's fair.
1: I
0: thought Philip Locke, who's the silent assassin Vargas, who didn't like to do anything. <laughs> you know, what do you like to do? A question I ask you many times, now. Uh, oh, sh- <laughs> Graham, what about you? What villain stood out for you?
3: Well, uh, only really uh, Adolfo. Uh, I thought he, he was excellent. I didn't like the red-headed assassin. I thought she was um, very stagey and, and very stiff and very wooden. You know who I liked? I liked uh, Bernard Lee and Desmond Llewellyn. and I liked, I liked the core team. I liked the good guys. And I thought there was only Adolfo, really. He was funny. None of the others got enough time to expand no. their character. No, you not know, really. You didn't get a feeling for these people. And even Largo was just, I thought he was a bit wooden. You know, why are you doing this? Why do you want these bombs? Oh, I want $100 million or whatever it was.
0: I think that's a good enough motive.
3: Yeah, but really? yeah, He'd already got a lot of money in a boat and all of this.
2: Yeah. You're asking a very rich man why he wants more money. More
3: money? Yeah, yeah probably that's a bit that's, naive, that's, isn't that's, it? That's, that's,
2: that's I've never show. heard of that happening before.
1: No, exactly. A no. bit naive to ask the question in yeah, 2020.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Elijah? What villains stood out for you?
1: Honestly, I don't think I would say either of, any of them stood out in the sense of Bond villains. Not compared to um, to Goldfinger. No. Or Old Job. Yeah. There's okay, there's no. nothing like that. You don't get the sense of menace. You don't feel like they, they pose any actual real threat to Bond. They're just kind of there, and you know that they're the enemy, and you know that he's going to end up by killing them. I've got to disagree with you
0: guys. I actually think uh, Luciana Peluzzo is uh, a really good villain. She's not got the same charisma as Barbara Carrera in Never Say Never Again. I, I think Luciana is, is really good as Fiona Volpa. Largo was a pretty stock villain. Um, yeah, and Locke we never saw enough as Vargas, unfortunately. Yeah, I can see the villainous cast. Other than that, to me, a pretty bland.
3: But- yeah, I mean uh, to pick up on what Elijah was saying. I mean it, the comparison with Odd Job is is really good because Odd Job he he had that sense of menace. He had his own little side story where he went off, and his own little um, piece of music as well as he went off to the pressing engagement, I thought was just brilliant. So, And then he had the big fight scene at the end. So he was a proper villain and he had a boss who was an even better villain. So that worked so well. This one, Largo was a bit of a wet blanket and he had a guy who looked like he should be serving you ice cream rather than being a villain. It was just an <laughs> Italian joke. That, how racist is that? That was an Italian jibe, definitely, but he did look like I should shocked. have been. <laughs> okay.
1: As long as you don't make a jibe at the Sicilians.
3: Because uh,
0: uh, no, uh, they know our
3: addresses. Um... <laughs> It'll make you an ice cream you can't refuse. Oh, yeah. See what I mean? Well,
1: I'll make you <laughs> I... into an ice cream at least. Yeah,
0: exactly. Or foundation, one of the two. But I think also with the villains, while we're on this, is you've got this overarching story that's been going on with the exception of Goldfinger, where you're talking about Blofeld. And of mm. course Blofeld comes in full blast into the next film. But you've got this villain who plays with this cat that we can see so far and gives out these instructions and electrocutes people for like getting their finances wrong. <laughs> you know, he, he is far more intriguing a character And I think that's one of the reasons when we go on to talk about You Only Live Twice as to why that film works so well, because suddenly you've got into the open what's been developed over three, four films. So maybe that undermines the villains in this. They're not quite up to that grade. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, the Bond treatment of women in the 60s, which apparently is frowned upon today.
1: (laughs) Apparently,
2: You cannot say that. (laughs) Please.
1: Well, Graham, we're going to have some <laughs> editing to do after this I, I, I think, think so, me. <laughs> <laughs> 007 with a license to kill and
2: license to thrill 007 ravishing redheads
0: bronze brunettes
2: honey blondes the bond women 007 style
1: The
0: confrontation with Patricia Fearing, where he puts his arms around her, forcibly puts his arms around her in the beginning in the spa. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was watching this, and even I was concerned there was sexism going on. And, <laughs> you know, and she's pushing him away, and he's taking no for an answer. Is this guy Brent Kavanaugh of the 60s or what?
1: I'm more like the Weinstein. The Weinstein, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. He is the Weinstein.
3: It's just crazy. It was shocking. I, I'd obviously forgotten about it because I haven't watched this really since I saw it in the cinema. And it was just very, very uncomfortable.
1: Like Every time that he's on screen with a woman, except for Domino on occasion, and even then. Yeah, at one point he's got a foot in his
0: mouth. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Oh, oh, she dear.
2: had the spikes, didn't she? Yes. Well, that was a reasonable plot point, <laughs> you would think. Yeah.
1: It, it's hard to see something like this and um, not see how it may have contributed to a culture in which the concerns for Me Too have arisen. Because, I mean, here you have one of the most famous um, cultural figures of the past 50 years or so, and he's just able to blatantly treat woman like his own personal playthings and he gets you know however many films out of the deal. In Goldfinger, the scram
0: men's talk where he pats her on the backside and you know for her to go off so he can he can do his discussions is actually to the point where it is almost funny. This and that sequence is not funny. No. It it is from the perspective of our modern audience is discomforting to watch. Yes, and I definitely. can't believe anybody mm-hmm. would think otherwise these days.
2: No, no, I agree. Can't just say, "Oh, it's you know the sign of the times." This was setting the times. Yes, um, this set the style for a lot of films, and people did expect that it was. It was wrong. I mean, they they shouldn't have put it in.
0: Yeah, although I would say with Bond and women that again, which was a hangover from both from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, whenever he's in a hotel, the hotel staff fawn over him. Yes. I don't know if you saw that moment where yes. they, the receptionist mm. just stares lovingly at him as he goes up the stairs.
2: Yes, that's not the sexist bit. It's no, a, no, it's but a, it, it is this a,
0: thing of, I guess what I'm trying to say is, Connery is a sex idol, so if he comes on to you in, in this way, then you should accept it, which
2: is you, wrong. I completely wrong, yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And he, he's setting the tone, isn't he, for the yeah. uh, for a lot of things that happened in the 60s and 70s.
1: And there's, I think, a slight difference between the moment where he wraps his arm around her and pulls her into a kiss, then when he says, you know, my silence might have a price. Yes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. And you're thinking, hang on a minute. No. So incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Fiona Volpe seems to have, she's got a mind of her own, so it's not as objectionable on its face. You can excuse some of the things with Fiona Volpe because of the character
0: she is. I mean, you know, she kills agents just out of hand. So what happens to her is a completely different ballgame. Patricia Fearing is an innocent in this game. You know, she isn't part of the game. So if that's how Bond reacts with that woman, how would he react with other women outside of the scope of these stories
1: yeah yeah i mean it seems like wherever he goes he just picks up a couple yeah yeah not one a couple (laughs) okay okay let's um let's move on from that because i think that's a
0: very uncomfortable conversation uh, but it needed it needed to be said so let's go back into the film itself and the big action scene at the end, which is about far away from that sexism as I can get at this moment in time. And you've got that big battle underwater. Now, I've complained a lot about some of the action being speeded up. In this, it's slowed down quite a bit. Although, thankfully, the villains and the heroes managed to wear different bright-colored clothing <laughs> so I could spot them. so it 's very, very nice of them. That was yeah. very good of them. But it was a whole battle that seemed to take place underwater in slow motion. Again, even for its time, was incredibly
1: violent. Elijah, what are your thoughts on that finale? I think there are about eighty-seven thousand combatants on each side. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> it is actually fun. I don't think it's slowed down as much as it's just slower to move in water. So they're moving along, at, you know, as fast as they can, you know, with the resistance that they're experiencing. But it is quite fun to see guys secure each other with a bunch of um, what are they called? Um, Spear guns. Yeah, big guns. I, got, uh, I have a I have a close friend who uh, who does a lot of diving, and he showed me his, and yeah, I didn't get to shoot it, but it would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I never got the point, as it were. Oh, oh, dear oh lord!
0: Uh, oh. Great story for you. Before I pass this on, that obviously, as you know, one of the gadgets that Bond has in this is this little device that gives him that extra couple of minutes of air. Mm -hmm. and uh, when the film came out, this guy that was in the Royal Navy, one of their sort of scientific boffins, had been working on such a device for a number of years, and he was astonished to watch it in this film, and he got in touch with the filmmakers to say, well, how did you do this? This is the breakthrough we've been looking for. How did you do it? And they had to admit to him it was just a special effect and it actually wasn't anything there at
1: all. (laughs) Q tells him it's like oh you only have 4 minutes and he ends yeah. up using it for like 20. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Unless he had 4 or 5 of them. Yeah.
0: Graham, how did that finale work for you?
3: Oh, it was it was painful, wasn't it? And it had very little structure to it, you know, it was just red team versus blue team. Or in this case, orange versus black. It was just... oh Orange is the place. new
1: black, haven't you heard?
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, he's on fire tonight. And I just thought, oh, God, get on with it. They seem to be one-on-one until Bond goes somewhere, then three guys chase him, and then rather stupidly chase him into an enclosed space. And uh, I just thought, yeah, okay, fine. I didn't think it achieved anything, really, having such a large fight. You know, the outcome was they took the the nukes back, and that was it, basically, and then they tried to escape. Uh, Yeah, a very poor ending. And I'm sorry I keep comparing it to Goldfinger, but Goldfinger was an incredible ending because the tension just ramped up and ramped up. In this, you had a slow-motion fight, and then you had the fastest boat on the planet. It
1: was just ridiculous. And you didn't get to see a fat man get sucked out of the plane, so.
3: There you go. You see, that's bonus material for the uh, for Goldfinger. If one of the windows had broken on that boat, it was travelling so fast, everybody would have been sucked out.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and on that subject, Neil, I'll hand over to you. What do you think of the finale?
2: It was a bit silly. I mean, it was probably quite sort of adventurous of them to, to try this whole Battle underwater, but it did go on for a long time. The one bit that really irritated me was then when they, a boat finally crashes and they get out, there's three go into the water and only two get rescued. And that really worried me where, they, where the hell the other person was. Why hadn't they rescued him? Or was it too much to ask for Bond to share the dinghy?
0: What happened to the scientist?
2: That's the scientist. I think was the one who went into the water. I believe so. I have to.
0: I I believe the answer is we've had
3: enough of experts. Oh (laughs)
0: Oh
2: dear! Oh dear! That's pathetic.
3: He got eaten by the sharks, didn't he?
2: (laughs) Yeah, sharks with lasers on them.
0: Yeah, just it's very good. So let's talk about something I really liked, and that's John Barry's score, which you know it's his third film, um, and he had Sir Tom. Sir Tom Jones singing the title song, which apparently the, the last note was so high and so long that Tom Jones passed out when he sung it. But <laughs> typi- <laughs> typical Welsh person stuck out with it. Wonderful, Sir Tom. He knows the
3: meaning of success.
0: But I thought
1: a great Barry score.
0: Elijah, what do you think?
1: I think the score is fantastic. I mean, just from the very beginning where he fights the widow, it's great. Like the moment when he's stalking through the, the um, hospital or whatever that place is, the recovery place. Kind it's of swell. that main theme plays very subtly. It reminds me a lot of the Michael Giacchino uh, cribbed a lot of ideas from it for the Incredibles films. Yes, mm. but there is a lot of you know that awesome brass in there that's just fantastic. And what did you think of that? He had almost like a theme for the
0: underwater, so you mm. knew. You, know, you, you just listen to the music on its own, you know when they're
1: underwater. Mm. I didn't catch on to that. I'd probably have to watch it another time to notice okay. that difference.
0: Neil, what do you think of the score?
2: Yeah, it's John Barry. It's it is it is a cr- fantastic, isn't it? I'm going to have to listen to it again for that uh, underwater thing. The Tom Jones song's absolutely terrible. Me. Story.
3: Me? It's
2: bloody awful. <laughs> absolutely. You, try reading the lyrics. And and you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about.
0: Graham, I want that edited out,
3: please. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. The um the third verse goes. Any woman he wants, he'll get. He will break any heart without regret. His days of asking are all gone. His fight goes on and on and on. He thinks the fight is worth it all, He's, so he strikes like thunderbolt.
0: You're, you're not Welsh. It doesn't resonate
2: with you. That is terrible. <laughs> it's brilliant. Absolutely. I'm sorry. It was awful. They did write one. They wrote a, a, a song that was for Shirley Bassey, wasn't, wasn't it? It was originally
0: um, for Shirley Bassey, but it, was amazingly... it wasn't that
2: song, though, was it? It was Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang,
0: so, do, which do was you supposed know where to kiss, be the song. Do you know where Kiss Kiss Bang Bang comes because from? Because
2: an Italian reporter once said Ooh, it in, a, in an article. He described James Bond as he's, Mr. He's, kiss Kiss so Bang interested. Bang. Yep. Yeah,
0: um, there you go. Okay, well, there we go. Then let me take this to the next level because this is a challenge. <laughs> I feel which American singer felt he should have sung the the title for Thunderball and did his own version and sent it into the producers. Oh damn
2: that. it! I read this. I the can't remember. Johnny Cash. Oh, of course, it was. Oh, yes, wow. Johnny Cash. Yeah, I think that might have been good. No, oh, but not as be. good as Sir Tom. <laughs> no maybe not i mean i don't have anything against tom jones It's just no, it, it sounds song like was,
0: prejudice to me
2: song was terrible so <sighs> carry on
0: can i say we are in a state of the moment where wales is locked down and you can only buy essential items when you go into a supermarket and any cd with sir tom jones on is marked as an essential item <laughs> but,
2: um, haven't they already got <laughs> the catalogue <laughs> Hasn't every Welsh person got a cattle? Don't they get them at birth instead yeah, of a spoon absolutely.
0: or something? you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's a christening idea. present.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. A, a CD. copy of the Bambinagian.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And no problem with any of this. Graham, your your thoughts on the music?
3: I uh, Yes, I did actually enjoy it. And I was so pleased with myself when I thought, oh, that's an underwater theme. That group's appearing every time he goes underwater. Ah." Now I see what Jeff's always on about. Yeah, I enjoyed that. <laughs> I thought the Tom Jones song was not great. I mean, Shirley Bassey me. Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger was in incredible you know it sonically removed your socks it just blew them off this was his voice was great i mean he can really belt out a song obviously giving him these terrible lyrics because the lyrics just went oh
0: terrible jeff terrible lyrics i accept that you've given a lot of credit to our show from splot and (laughs) i i like that but to (laughs) knock sir
3: tom I'm this, not looking him. Of course he, you are. He, he's working with what he's given. And if he's given not great words, what can he do? He can't make them better. He sings them extremely well. But, you know, there is a limit.
0: There was a reason Sir Tom hung out with Elvis. And this <laughs> is part of the reason. The, Elvis was enamored by the theme song for Thunderball. And he used to take Sir Tom out for a beer in Las Vegas. And it's all to talk about this music. And I'm shocked that anybody thinks this any different. I'm, I'm going to move on. Otherwise, the, the single Welsh tear might be creeping in at this point.
3: <laughs> um, and you've had one this year. so you can't... <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: have. I, I would be, yeah, busting the rules. Um, okay.
3: Like Thunderbolt.
0: I, I want to talk about how this film resonated in the 60s a little bit because. We're now in 65. This is the fourth Bond film. It was the first Bond film to be released in America. The UK comes second. Uh, It was a huge, huge hit. As an icon, Bond represents, to me, 60 cinema. Now, Neil what are your thoughts on Bond as an icon based on the films that we've seen so far? Is that deserved or not deserved?
2: Well, kind of an icon of the 60s, yes. I mean, it's it's certainly the sexism you could probably um, leave out. where well, you definitely leave out. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely, I mean, he's everybody's waiting for the next Bond, aren't they? Bond is enshrined in after four films, is enshrined in the the consciousness of film girls, isn't it? You're just waiting for number five to come out.
0: But but I guess you had Bond and you had the Beatles, and that represented the UK to the world at this time. Would you agree, Graham?
3: Oh gosh, yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, that was it, wasn't it? It was the it was the music and it was the movies of the time, and this was all part of the British invasion.
0: You're coming at a number of these for the first time, Elijah, which is absolutely fascinating to get your viewpoint on this. But as we've seen, you know, it was a major icon in the 60s.
1: Can you see how that came about? Or do you think, well, these are rather dated now? I mean, I think I could see how that, that happened. I mean, the 60s, the massive cultural revolution. You've got the Beatles preaching free love, you've got Bond practicing it. <laughs> and uh have got a recipe We're for fame. That's <laughs> that
2: quite clever that. Yeah. That is good. Preaching I'm and gonna, actually I'm, I'm going to steal it. that.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> practice I, what you preach. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think despite what we said of Thunderball I think it did reach a particular high point because when we start looking at the one the films that follow this, there is a slight decline in world popularity for Bond. And we will look at that certainly next time. But at this point, the mid sixties, Bond, the Beatles, they had a real high watermark, which I don't think was ever repeated. But we'll we'll cover that again. Sir, I respectfully suggest that you change my assignment to Nassau. Is there any other
3: reason besides your enthusiasm for water sports?
0: Perhaps this, sir. Well, there was a photograph of that man in this dossier you gave us. His name is Daval. Well, I saw him last night at Shrublands,
3: but he was dead. Oh, no, sir, not possible. He was seen boarding the Vulcan, took off last night. If 007 says he saw Daval last night at Shrublands and he was dead.
2: That's enough for me to initiate inquiries.
0: What I want to pick up, particularly on Thunderball now, is, again, I mentioned earlier there were legal disputes on this. Clevin McClory came to a legal arrangement with Ian Fleming. It meant McClory could take that story if he wanted, which he did, and remade it as never say never again. Do you think that Thunderball could be remade again? It's been done once mcclory's estate own the rights to this they could do another version of thunderball outside of what eon does for bond let's say uh, they came to an arrangement between them and said okay we will do a new version of thunderball how would you approach it because stealing two nukes in thunderball these days sadly doesn't seem that
3: cinematic. How would you approach it now? No idea on that one, Jeff, because, you know, what What could you do? You could you could steal the keys for the entire American nuclear arsenal or the Russian nuclear arsenal or the Chinese, for example. So, yeah, there's lots of things. You, you'd you'd have, have, to
1: have to kidnap the president and multiple other people.
3: If they could steal and the, the, the codes nuclear and fo- and football. The football. Yeah, they'd steal the nuclear football and the codes, I'm sure, yeah they could um they could come up with some convoluted completely made up plan to do that at the right time they already
1: did it and olympus has fallen oh god Gerard butler saved the day again
2: <laughs> Great film. Great film. Well, and and didn't they steal something in um, the world is not enough and golden eye and uh, some of all fears
1: Yep. So they are. That's Jack guys. Ryan, isn't it? So, yeah, some that's all, Jack yeah, Ryan. Yeah, it's Jack fair.
0: Ryan. But that's an interesting point because some of all fears is based on a fact that the Americans lent nukes to Israel just before the start of the Seven Day War, and Israel managed to lose a nuke, yeah. which they've never got back. No, so, not but,
3: not lose, misplace. Oh, misplace. <laughs> sorry,
0: but there are. I mean, there have been a number of nukes, and particularly the Russians have lost subs where nukes are still on them. So there are all sorts of nukes all over the place. Thankfully, are either completely lost or buried too deep that terrorists can't get at them. But it is intriguing what you could do with a remake of Thunderball. It wouldn't be Spectre. It would certainly be a terrorist organization taking the nukes. But I think you would have to, if they take two nukes,
1: you'd have to set one off. I think you'd probably have something more like a a um, a bio bioweapon, especially if it were remade today. Yeah, we are going to
3: be inundated with bioweapon stories after COVID-19. Do
1: yeah. You know, it's going to be in. That are all going to show up on Quibi. Oh, wait, never mind. Uh,
3: no, that's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that went over my head. Somebody want to explain it to me?
3: Yeah, you know, it's a streaming service that's just died today.
1: Yeah, it was made for your phone, so it was filmed in landscape and portrait mode. Quibi is short for Quick Bites. Um, essentially, they were offering it for free at a certain point because nobody was watching it. I didn't watch it, even though I had six months free for it.
0: Here's my way they redo Never Say Never Again. Right? We do a No Deal Brexit. Oh, obviously God. we're looking to sell stuff. Afghanistan, the Taliban, buy some nukes off Boris Johnson. <laughs> they decide to threaten the West with those. So they send in a, a cut price Bond who is struggling to make ends meet and feed his kids at home. But he accepts the <laughs> mission to
1: go out and sort out and get those nukes. Wait, when does Bond get kids? <laughs> okay, yeah. Does well, he just find out that he fathered as many as Boris Johnson or, or what? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, you've you got, got the sexism there as well, haven't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you've got it all.
1: Yeah. Or does Boris Johnson become Bond? Yeah, I mean, oh God! Fair, <laughs>
0: at one point in the film, Conry lifts his
1: toupee off, like Trump. You're covering all bases now. I mean, you could have the, the Afghan terrorist leader be one of Boris Johnson's uh, unclaimed sons, I mean... You... <laughs>
3: We have lost the plot completely. Yeah, yeah, you, I you think could so. set,
0: you could set one of the nukes <laughs> off in Australia because nobody notices uh, an old Penal colony going. And
2: um... <laughs> <laughs> we invented Australia. Why would we? Why would exactly. we kill it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Our
3: listener numbers in Australia have been going up. Recently.
2: Yeah, that's the end old. of that. Not all from nukes dropped on them. So...
1: Okay, yeah. let's let let's sum up on this. So you could drop a nuke in a certain part of Australia, and the Australians wouldn't notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll... Take out his rock.
0: Right. Let's just sum up then on on Thunderball. So where would you put it in the four films that have been before it? At the top, the bottom, or or what? Elijah, where would you place it?
1: I put it and the first two on kind of an equal plane. And then, yeah, uh, Goldfinger is obviously the, the, the best of the four so far.
3: Graham? I didn't enjoy it enjoy it very much. So I would put, like everybody else probably, I would put Goldfinger first. I would put Dr. No second. I put this third. And I would put From Russia With Love, a uh, very distant th- uh, fourth. Neil?
2: Yeah, Goldfinger first and all the rest second, I think. I don't see that they're that that much better or worse than each Mm. other.
0: Like everybody else, Goldfinger is a a definite first. I I would put this last. Unfortunately, it has moments of enjoyment. You know, I'm going to be going off after this to write my script of where we bomb Australia, because I think there's money to be made out of that. (laughs) Uh, But I think this has been another fascinating James Bond discussion james bond and at the flicks will as they say return and it's bye for now thank you guys really appreciate it thank you jeff bye tomorrow we'll be back to talk you only live twice with elijah as an added bonus we start our campaign to select an at the flicks member as the next james bond we're going for the older more stylish look see you on the next episode